Everyone still looks uncomfortable. Perhaps they all remembered that old saying, power corrupts. Hello and welcome to Second Officer Slog, episode 50. I forgot already. Jackson, what did episode I say? 54. 54. 54. Uh, I had to look it up because uh, Lord it's knows so it's been long. a long time since we've done one of these. It was October of 2019, which might as well have been a lifetime ago. That's not as far as I thought. That's less than a year. We did Into Darkness, if you remember. Right. Correctly. We did do Into Darkness. We, we had already been stopped for six months at that point. <laughs> Yeah, we never did beyond. Um, we still might. Who we knows? still might one day. Anything yeah. could happen. Any, anything could happen. I'm not here to write things out. Uh, but we're back. We're back. There's another podcast in your Star Trek feed if you're still subscribed to this thing. If you're still subscribed to this thing, bless you. I mean, it costs you nothing to keep things in your podcatcher, I guess. But damn, that's uh, resilience. That's like me having idle thumbs in my podcatcher still knowing that it's never coming back. It's, you're never going to delete it, though. No, if, why would I? If ever it uh, reappears, it will it will hit your catcher and you'll be like, holy shit. That's yeah. how I know. How I don't know. Uh, so Star Trek, how's it going? Well, on the Star Trek front, we got the animated show about to premiere <laughs> next month, right? God, that's real soon. Um, I'm looking forward to that, I think. I watched all of Picard. Jackson watched all of Picard. Jackson, how's Picard? <laughs> Uh, when I tried, when I got up close to the mic to do that as a bit, I accidentally hit the mute button. <laughs> oh, great. Anyway, what I was saying, but wasn't picked up, was it's one of the worst shows I've ever seen in my life. It makes Discovery Season 2 look good. Uh, it, yeah, I, uh, we've discussed Picard on VoIP Life, which, you know, if you're if you're like, I'm only here for Star Trek content, maybe you don't need to listen to Void Life or whatever, but if you did, you'd know that Jackson told me about uh, Picard every time, and it was miserable, because that seems miserable. like the fucking worst television show. I haven't watched it yet. I don't know if I ever will. No, uh, me and Destiny have been talking about going back to Voyager, maybe just watching Enterprise, um, because it's better than Voyager. <laughs> so <laughs> Enterprise is right there. Yeah, there's good Star Trek. I could be watching good Star Trek. Uh, but yeah, Picard came and went. I guess they're doing a season two. I don't know. Who fucking cares? Not me. They introduced it, the concept of eternal machine gods that could kill everyone at any time and never really talk about it. Star Trek. Star That's Trek. That's what I came to Star Trek for. Fucking Reapers. I came here for the. Re- I came here for someone to do Mass Effect Three worse. How is that possible? You used to be beautiful. Yeah. So, obviously, not in a real rush to be coming back. This is a special episode. (laughs) Um, I keep saying we should just cover the Orville, but Jackson keeps saying no, so... But, at the same time, this is is the Patreon episode. Thank you very much um, to uh, make sure I don't get the name wrong. Yes, it is Rubric. I was going to say Rubric, and I was right. Thank you very much to Rubric for suggesting this. Um, and uh, for, I guess, commissioning it. It's on the Patreon. It's good. Thank you very much. Uh, I know we complain yeah. about Star Trek, but this is not like an episode we're doing under duress. Uh, we'll always no. show up to talk about Enterprise. 
Yeah, like, we'll still do books if people want us to do books. They just gotta make us do them. Uh, yeah, well, they don't but, really fit into our schedule organically, but if someone wants to, yeah. we'll always do it. Uh, we are talking about a Star Trek book uh, based on Enterprise today. Yes. Uh, we are talking about Last Full Measure, which is a book written by Michael A. Martin and Andy Mangles, uh, which came out in 2006. Uh, before we get too far into this, I want to say for the record that if you haven't seen Enterprise... Uh, and you want to not know what happens in Enterprise, you need to not listen to this episode, because we're going to be talking a lot about Enterprise. <laughs> yes, we, we, we like, uh, alluded to Enterprise a lot, um, and, you know, we talked about it a bit on the other bits, but we haven't actually sat down and had a big Enterprise podcast, and that's what this is going to be. Uh, we are big advocates of Enterprise. We think it's um, both often good and also the ways in which it's bad are some of the most interesting ways that Star Trek has ever been bad. Yeah, uh, that's and just true. For that reason, uh, you know, if if you're thinking, "Oh, just power through," you should give Enterprise a shot. Yeah, you know, probably maybe you'll like it. This episode will still be here. It's not like there'll be another episode in, in you know next week. Um, yeah, this is just gonna be it for a while. Uh, so, so uh, if people, if that's enough pitch to say, "Oh, I should go watch Enterprise," good luck. Go watch Enterprise. Come back and you know after you watch all four seasons. Uh, if you're still on the fence, we should probably talk about Enterprise a little before Let's we get into this, it. because I don't know if we've ever... Have we covered a single en- episode of Enterprise nope. for this podcast? Do you know? Nope. I don't think we did. I'm fairly sure we didn't. I was like, maybe we did Broken Bow once, but I don't think we did, because I think I was still watching Enterprise when we were doing Star Trek stuff. That seems impossible. That seems impossible. Well, I finished Enterprise like in the middle of the Discovery season, like season one break. Uh, did you really? Yeah, because of the, like, Mirror Universe stuff. That oh, ended up right. being t- relevant for exactly five minutes. <laughs> it really did. God. Remember when we were all thinking about what was going to go on with all of that? <laughs> oh, um, when we had hope. When we had hope, we were like, oh, this could go anywhere. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um, God, I'm trying to like I'm trying to look through this and be like, oh, did we did we cover any inter- I'm not seeing any no, Enterprise. We didn't. Uh, so we Jackson, did why should episodes. people watch Enterprise? Because it's good. So first of all, um, by being a prequel, it is able to make the more like regressive parts of Star Trek seem like critiques in a way that is interesting eh, seem like it's a big word but basically by setting it as a prequel and having everyone suck a lot it makes the Star Trek universe interesting even if sometimes the way they suck is intentional and sometimes it's just Rick Berman and Brandon Braga are the dumbest people alive um, and it just leads to a text that it's uh, very rich um, and then uh, in season 3 everyone gets 9-11 brain and it becomes a series about getting 9-11 brain <laughs> for a while there this book uh, continues in that tradition um and i just think it like adds a lot to the star trek universe when you have to think about the ways in which the federation was always compromised and made of cops uh like losing the strange post uh roddenberry like utopian uh layer of this is what star trek's about makes star trek more interesting and i think enterprise is really good at that also all the vulcan stuff is incredible yeah, that's fair. You're not wrong. Um, and I mostly like the characters, the main the main characters. There are some other characters on the show who they never knew what to do with. <laughs> yeah. Um, a large portion of this, of course, is uh, that 
because it's the weird like prequel also ran it gets real lore fucky in a way that's fun if you care about star trek too much which is us yep do you want to know why Klingons went from smooth heads to the normal heads that they have in like the 90s shows? Enterprise will give you an answer. It's not a good one, but they'll give you one. <laughs> Do, did you right, which one of you had involves Data's granddad? Who who's got that? And and the augments like Khan. <laughs> and the augments, yep, and Khan, yep. Uh do you want to know what what are the other like little fucking stuff they get into? Um, Do you want to know why Vulcans are so like weird and uptight? <laughs> yes, uh, I do. There was a weird fucking coup conspiracy involving collaborating with Romulans that happened at some point. Did you want to know about how the this coup conspiracy was working with the Remans and to like uh, infiltrate the Romulan and like Earth War to like incite the Romulan Earth War? Well, you don't get that because they cancelled it. But they were gonna. No, they were gonna they do that. They suggested it. Do you want to know anything at all ever about Andorians? I really you do. get something. <laughs> do you want Jeffrey Coombs? I do. I do. I want him on the ship. I didn't get that. Unfortunately, you didn't get that. <laughs> Season five is so good in my mind. <laughs> yep. I've seen some of the pictures that are fucking terrible. They were gonna explain how the, the Borg Queen is human. And it was to do with time paradox involving Enterprise and uh, First Contact. That sounded awful. Um, yeah. Do you want to see Star Trek characters go through a burger drive-thru in 2005? Yes, Enterprise I do! I do! That's a really good episode. <laughs> that is a fantastic episode. Um, uh, Enterprise is really good, is what we're saying. And people should watch it. Uh, it's great. It's just good Star Trek. Um, yeah. It's a mess. It doesn't know why it's good most of the time, but... Uh, it you know that doesn't mean that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> no, like I feel like because it doesn't know, it's often better than DS Nine about the like the looking at the ways the Federation is broken. Yes, um, because DS Nine is like well written and well constructed, so it still wants you to think Cisco is cool when he blows up the Maquis. Whereas yeah. there's nothing cool about Archer doing Black Ops 9-11 torture and getting really yeah. mad that Section Thirty One exists, but only because it doesn't answer to him. <laughs> Uh, it's true. Uh, so I guess we should, that's probably a good lead into the books, this book that we're reading. Yes. Um, because this book m- nominally takes place in the middle of season three of Enterprise, which is a full season arc, which you're like, oh, that's really interesting. It's a bad idea. Um, they stretch it way too long, but, uh, on paper, it sounds great and there's good ideas there. Um, and what happened was at the beginning of season three, Earth was attacked by a, a race called the Zindi. Or a, a conglomerate race called the Zindi, who fired a giant beam on Earth and killed millions of people in Florida. Uh, it's basically the bug attack in Starship Troopers, and it, it, it creates a similar response in that uh, Earth mobilizes to go find the Zindi and make sure that, you know, nothing, uh, all this stuff gets shut down. The Zindi are a, a federation of five races, it used to be six, but now it's five because one of them is extinct, uh, that all are. I don't understand how they're all the same people when they're five distinct. Like, it's not like one of them has a different nose than the other one. It's like some of them are human. Some of them are eight people. Some of them are reptiles. Some of them are insects. And some of them are like whales or well, the, dolphins, the, I the guess. The way I read it is that because the, they, they always go on about the Zindi homeworld. So I assume it's just the species that all happen to evolve on the Live one planet. There, yeah. They were told uh, by the future guy from the Temporal Cold War. Yeah. <laughs> None of this yes! matters. <laughs> 
but <laughs> it's important uh, for the setup here uh, because there's a guy from the future uh, who came back to the past who keeps wanting to stop the Federation from forming, and that's a, a key component of Enterprise that never resolves and doesn't matter because they mostly forget about it, but it's there. Uh, anyway, he came back and told the Zindi that Earth was going to defeat the Zindi, or the Federation was going to defeat the Zindi at some point in the 26th century or something like that, and if they wanted to stop that they need to blow up earth now before the federation was born um and so they listen to him and do that um i feel like if you just knew that was going to happen you could just talk to them and not have this happen but whatever who cares it doesn't matter it's stupid um and then earth is told that because uh one of the people on the enterprise turns out that he's uh from even further in the future and he's a time cop who's trying to fix the guy who's meddling with the future again this doesn't come up in this book this is just groundwork for this season <laughs> yes. uh, and so the enterprise gets a bunch of marines uh space marines uh space marines. called called the mako uh like the shark uh on the ship and then they go into the delphic expanse which is this uncharted region of space it's all full of nebulas and unknown peoples and uh a bunch of like aliens that are never going to show up in star trek again because this is the prequel disease uh where everything you invent you're like well why wasn't that around and no one has a good answer um but they go in there and they're looking for the Zindi trying to stop them from creating an even bigger super weapon that'll just blow up the Earth. It's just a big Death Star, basically. Um, and they're trying to build a Death Star and Enterprise is trying to stop them. And that's what this book is about, is in the middle of all that, um, tensions are high because they can't find the Zindi because the Zindi are really secretive and they're in the Delphic Expanse and weird shit keeps happening in the Delphic Expanse. Um, and there's increased tensions between the Enterprise crew, which are not Starfleet, because Starfleet doesn't exist yet, but basically the people we know from Starfleet, stuffy and ridiculous and oh. nerdy. Uh, and the Nakos, who are literally... Not Federation. Federation doesn't exist. They ask, I think Starfleet is still what they're called. Okay, right. Right. Because there's a bit where he's like, I wanted to join the United Earth Space Agency, and by the time I grew up, it was Starfleet. Yes, um, yes. Um, anyway, uh, and the Marines who are just the aliens, space Marines, basically, uh, a little more like a little less cartoonish and a little more like, ah, these are just soldiers. Like if they made a Jag Star Trek, the Makos would be the main characters. Yes. Military Um, assault command operations. Yeah. Anyway, uh, tensions are high because these two groups don't get along because they have opposite, uh, ideas about how to see the universe and that Starfleet wants to explore, uh, and the Makos want to blow shit up because everything's a threat because they're the military. Uh, you'd ask yourself, isn't Starfleet also the military? And I tell you, yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of what this book is about. It's the thing that I think is really interesting in this book. Anyway, uh, this book is notable because as a framing device about, uh, Federation Day, July 4th in the year 2238. <laughs> Because Federation Day is on July 4th in the Star Trek universe, which is the dumbest thing in the world. Um, an old man visits the Federation Day monument, uh, where the names of everyone who died in the Zindi war attack and the Earth Romulan War are all inscribed on this monument. Uh, no, no confirmation one way or another if the captain, uh, guy, uh, that Irdizabo played in Star Trek Beyond is on this monument. He should be. <laughs> he should be. Um, uh, but an old man's visiting. With a, a young, uh, like, lieutenant or whatever, and they're, in the background, the Enterprise, the original-ass Enterprise is being constructed, um, and the old man is like, oh, I'm gonna see this ship off, and, uh, that's the beginning of this whole, uh, the bookend, at the end of the bookend, 
uh, because none of this matters for the rest of the book. Uh, a young boy runs up, two young boys run up, and it turns out it's uh, <laughs> Sam and James Kirk, eight years old, uh, doing like rubbings of the monument for like a school class or whatever. Um, and the old man's like, ah, it's good to see that the future's in bright young hands because every Star Trek book has to do this. It's the stupidest shit in the entire world. <laughs> yes. And then it's revealed that this old man, uh, unrecognizable because of his many surgeries and name changes, is Trip Tucker. And you're like, okay, whatever. I don't know Enterprise. But I'm here to tell you that's uh, interesting because Tri- Trip Tucker dies in the final episode of Enterprise. Like I yes. said, we're going to spoil this. Famously um, in a very terrible way. <laughs> yeah, in a, very, in a very stupid way that doesn't mean anything because the last episode <laughs> of Enterprise is really fucking terrible yes Um, but the last episode of enterprise is also a recreation of historical events that's being watched by will Riker on the enterprise d during the events of like the season six episode where his commander wanted to hide the cloaking device i don't remember the name of that episode doesn't matter um but uh it, it creates a loophole in which you can say everything that's in that episode is suspect uh because it's just the starfleet official record of events um and that's what the book writers went with <laughs> which, yes it, it immediately suggests black ops a trip tucker which uh we will get in the next book which to be fair so background on this episode uh someone asked us uh you know uh, rubik was like hey you should read the trip tucker book and i was like i'll do i'll do that and it was actually the next book but every reading list said read this one first and i was like why would it say oh, okay i was like well we'll we'll start at the start because i know i know trips in this book but it was actually just one line at the end i was like why do it that way um but um so i hope that's not disappointing but i do actually think talking about the makers is going to be interesting in its own rights yeah so with all that groundwork laid jackson what's this book about oh god (laughs) 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 this book well first of all uh it is about nothing happening (laughs) because the plot of every uh enterprise episode in season three is that um apart from some normal star trek episodes that then have to like bend over backwards to justify why they exist in the middle of being in the expanse um so apart from that the like vast majority of season three episodes have uh the uh the captain's like i'll just like all right we gotta we gotta find out what happened to the zindi and everyone goes oh fucking zindi i hate them all so much um and then they track someone down or they capture someone and torture them and you know all of because there's a book all of these happened in this plot in various combinations um and then the plan goes wrong it all blows up in their face and they like go oh we've got we've got no closer to finding the zindi but we do have four percent more sphere calibration don't worry what sphere calibration means not mentioned in this book but just know it's really stupid in the season uh, this book is exactly that, but for 390 pages for some reason. Um, and the plot is as follows. Uh, Archer is going to, like, track this, like, um, rumor that, like, they need to, they need to find someone who knows Zindi, and they, they found, like, this, like, smuggler, and he's gonna go track him with an away team at the same time. Oh, you mean, you mean they literally go to Tatooine, yes. meet Jabba the Hutt, and then track down Dash Rendar. Yes, yeah, yes, that literally is exactly what happens. Um, meanwhile, uh, Travis Mayweather <laughs> is leading an away mission with four Makos that don't matter, uh, to the was like following a trail of particles uh to a zindi fuel outpost and they have to decide uh what to do about that because they're cut off from the ship and those are the two plots of the book uh both kind of centering around the relationship between uh the starfleet um 
officers and the makers. The Starfleet officers, of course, being squids and the makers being sharks. This is a metaphor they go with multiple times, Semper Invictus. Uh... And those are the, that's kind of the two groups. Um, Archer Reed, reads with Archer, so he's got uh, Malcolm Reed to kind of be the point of view character because Archer's too busy on nine eleven brain to really be a point of view character in this book. Um, and yes. so it, fo- it follows uh, Reed's view of the one away wish and Travis's view of the other. Uh, and um, Archer's mission goes real bad because it's it actually just a setup from the Zindi who are like, all right, they're looking for us, but what if we like give them an answer because currently we have a defense which is the expanse is really big so they probably won't find us but we can't be sure so what if we give them leads to follow but we know will lead to nothing it's actually a trap that will kill them and um that's what happens uh but then they escape at the last moment with their ingenious human solutions uh and uh meanwhile on travis's mission they go there they they like are oh, they're, they're there basically to collect data and the, so travis spends about three chapters going we should just turn around and go our mission's over we've got the data yeah we have to go back to the enterprise we've been undetected this is very successful and all the makers are like no we got to we're here to kick ass and chew bubblegum uh and so they concoct a ridiculous plan to get on tethers and eva suits and plant bombs and that all goes very wrong and um they have to like someone has to stay behind to blow them up and then it hilariously talks around who stayed behind and blew them up so you know it's not the pregnant lady and then right at the end of the book reveals it wasn't the pregnant lady the whole time she's fine uh and they're over the course of these missions the makos and the starfleet officers learn to respect each other as they do every episode of season three before resetting next week <laughs> And uh, yeah. that's the plot of uh, Last Full Measure. It's um, yeah. You, yeah, you might ask yourself, "Where's Trip? Where's DePaul? And the answer is that uh, a weird anomaly of Delphic Expanse hit the mess hall, and so Hoshi and Trip and a couple other people that don't matter because they're not major characters because this is a limited cast in Enterprise are all cast away into not in this book disease uh, <laughs> where they have like a seizure and fall asleep and have dreams about uh, things that happen to them. And Trip's case, because you know, nominally this book is about reintroducing trip to the into star trek is that trip is just reliving his sister being 9-11 over and over again <laughs> which to um, be fair he is in the show as well they have that one shot of her sitting like her alone sitting on like a table in the middle of nowhere <laughs> yeah gets 9-11 <laughs> yeah um and so that that happens to him and to paul is obviously in charge of the enterprise because Archer decides to go on the mission himself and the makers are like captains don't go on missions and Archer's like aha this is Star Trek I do go on missions yep um, which you know fair enough uh, which leads our point of view characters as Malcolm Reed and Travis Mayweather <laughs> maybe the two most worthless characters in all of Star Trek uh, I love Malcolm Reed but you are not incorrect and, you know, um, to, to, to be like that yeah. To enjoy Malcolm Reed requires a level of being broke brain that I would not recommend getting to about media. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Malcolm Reed is the tactical officer on the Enterprise. Uh, his whole thing is that he's stuck up and British and nobody knows anything about him. Um, literally, there's a whole episode where they have to try to figure out what his favorite food is, but he won't answer them because they want to make it for him for his birthday. Uh, it's pineapple upside down cake, but it takes them the entire episode to find that <laughs> <it> out. <laughs> Um, Because they can't just say, we need this for his best. They're just going to like, hey, Malcolm, what do you like? And he goes, oh, whatever. 
I'll have whatever. Uh, yes, he just constantly is like standing in the background, looking like Judy Dench being mad about something in every episode. That's his <laughs> whole character. Is furious with him. <laughs> um, and he is in this in this book. He is really mad that Archer is doing nine eleven tortures. Uh, because not because of like firm ideological stances, but because he was bullied in school and thinks the Federation is now being a bully. Oh, so he's living up, uh, like, living out like Regency Last of Us 2, and it's so fucking funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, because in his private school on Earth in, like, the 2130s or whatever, uh, it sucked because it's Star Trek and everything in the past always sucks and everything in the future is always going to be better than this. Uh, and so he was bullied by a bunch of kids, like, really seriously, like, they almost killed him, like, a bunch of kids almost drowned him uh teachers didn't do anything because his parents were rich because uh i don't understand that part because the alien like the vulcans have already come to earth and like money is not a thing anymore still by now so britain is holding out <laughs> god they would too they Shit. Fucking would. this is why enterprise is good because some because this is clearly a book written by people who like need you to respect the troops about 9-11 through star trek and here's this fucking flashback and it somehow you know allows all these places where you could go like oh yeah because britain clearly held out on the money thing um <laughs> and so he ended up becoming like really smart and brilliant and getting a bunch of tough kids to go and almost murder the guy who <laughs> beat him up uh years later um and as they offered to drown this guy in the river he was like no take him to a hospital he suffered enough and because of that he is anti-torturing terrorists <laughs> also he's 12 yeah. <laughs> he's going take him to the hospital boys we're not just like he's not sleeping with the fishes today they called me fish boy uh, and um, because of that he is anti the u.s's involvement in the iraq war <laughs> But he respects the troops when learning yeah. that they can contribute too. Yeah, he really just wants Archer to like, you know, blow up all of the uh, Iraqis, but without breaking any bones, right? Like that's his whole deal. <laughs> well, his whole deal is basically uh, when we were the Great Empire, we did things properly. <laughs> like it's basically what he says because he's mad about like U.S. imperialism uh, as applied to be British imperialism that he represents, which is like not obviously true in the text, but the way he gets mad about it is like really explicitly that. Like there's yes. some uncomfortable language he uses. <laughs> we used to live in a society, yes. Archer. <laughs> You can't just run off and do this cowboy shit. Uh, and to which Archer replies, watch me, it's Star Trek. Um, and he's correct, because it's Star Trek. I I've got some quotes here from the uh, uh, Malcolm Reed flashback. I was going to say them since it already came up, because it's the funniest thing that's ever happened in the universe. <laughs> yes. Are you all right, Victor? Malcolm asked, even as he saw Gerald Balin's will. was <laughs> You yeah. have to reapproach that line. You can't just go with that. No one understands what you're saying. <laughs> He's got Gerald Balin's will. Just, just, are you all right, Victor? Malcolm asked, even as he saw Gerald Balin's will throw something towards him. <laughs> Gerald! And there's another bit where they like say who the who the villains are of this situation, and they just list them all out as Morris Bishop and Balin's will, which is just the most fucking Boris Bunsen bean. So, like, <laughs> situation ever uh when, when um malcolm reed is drowning uh because they throw him in the river and just apparently i'm murdering this guy which you can tell this is written by americans because i you know i went to a grammar school or private school but 
I am familiar with the ways in which middle class people, and these are upper class people, but you know, middle class people just want to be upper class people. They just earn the money. Uh, they're evil in such specific ways. We have like every British book ever, right, is about the ways in which British people are kind of polite but hate each other like to their core. And, yes. and so instead we have the depiction of like private school bullying being throwing someone in a river. It's it's like ludicrous on the face of it. Anyway, please enjoy this line, which doesn't matter. Never referenced again, not a plot point, but this is how he is discovered. Mistress Linscott, who had, unbeknownst to the other faculty, been carrying on a torrid affair with Mr. Torpin, the Greensman. <laughs> like, <laughs> and she just yeah. walks that's just introducing her seeing Malcolm getting browned and uh, browned drowned and saving him and why what what but then follows it up with the fact that she's too nearsighted to properly identify the boys yeah uh, I guess and then so then once he's like done everyone's math homework and thus recruited a gang to kill these guys for him he hears morris be like i can't swim and then we have in this instant he knew that he was no better than the object of his hatred and resentment and that his actions were only serving to perpetuate a vicious ugly cycle the ouroboros serpent swallowing its own tail (laughs) like all the profundity of this like this stupid Taylor Revenge story is bad anyway, but the fact that they decide to set it in a flashback about Malcolm Reed almost being drowned and then recruiting a gang of bullies to throw someone else in the river in private school? <laughs> Amazing. This is uh, so this is, this is This is the man who will go on to invent Red Alert by yes. naming it after himself. <laughs> Reed Alert. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> yes. I was and all in service mind. of like the most liberal finger wagging at Archer doing tortures against prisoners because you know it's and look we're here like it's bad to torture people to get information it, it's not a good idea ethically it's not a good idea like tactically uh, it's a horrible thing for states to do to individuals uh, like across the board not proving that but the way in which star trek presents this is in the no you need to you need to like be on the up and up and follow the laws when you're doing your imperialism <laughs> yes um um and Cass archer is like uh if you cross this line you're no better than the marines who are evil and go around shooting people not like the federation who go around colonizing planets and very generously folding people into human culture which is what star trek is all about because like the thing that is true about season three of Enterprise, which is never like addressed in a cognitive distance of the show, is that like when the future man tells Zindi that they will be destroyed by the Federation, he what he actually means and like leaves out is that they will become a part of the Federation. There's like a flash forward to the Enterprise J, and he sees that no, the Zindi don't exist because they're just like part of the wider Federation. It's all expanding over the galaxy. And the thing that Enterprise never says, but is true, is that 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 is right. Their culture's dead now. <laughs> like. Yeah. That is true. The Zindi do not exist because they are part of the fucking Federation who just, like, consume everything. Um, and and then the way this, like, uh, like, like, never really addressed by the show intentionally, but it is there, uh, which casts all the Zindi's actions in an interesting light. Yes. Uh, and all this happens, of course, as they beat up Dash Rendar. <laughs> Yes, because so so the Archer plot is, like, so many chapters of him beating up Dash Rendar. Uh... What's his fucking name? It's not. I have Thane. no idea. I literally they land on a desert planet. 
Uh, they, they exit the spaceport and they meet a giant slug creature who, like, for, you know, a couple liters of liquid mercury will tell them where they can find the smuggler who's been working with the Zindi in the bar full of aliens. And you're just doing Star Wars at this point. A bunch, of, a a bunch so of nerdy scientist cops show up at Star Wars. <laughs> but there is, and everyone is... looks at them and goes, oh, it's the fucking cops. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But there is one good thing, which is that someone says, we should probably not just have maps to trade. <laughs> which, <laughs> yes. which we specifically appreciated because there's an entire terrible DS9 book that the only like interesting thing I remember about it is that the, the, um, the Valiant goes into... Uh, the gamma quadrant, the gamma quadrant, right? Yes, because I always forget yeah. the get the delta quadrant, the gamma quadrant confused. They go to the gamma quadrant, they're exploring these planets, and they end up in like a situation where there's like they have to like you know engage with the people who live there, and they realize we've got nothing, we've got maps. Do you want to trade some maps? Can we have some help, please? And they're like, no, we already live here, we don't need your fucking maps. <laughs> <laughs> Because they have nothing, because they're the Federation and they're morons, and they're just yes. uh, in this new area of space. So at least this is far enough behind that time period that they do say we should have like actual materials to trade. Yeah, we have, like we have mercury, we have latinum, uh, we have platinum, which is different. <laughs> yes, because this is this is pre-replicator; they can't just make stuff. Um, and gold plus latinum is not the currency of the galaxy because the Ferengi are basically unknown. Um, so. Star Trek. <laughs> yep. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the torture in Dasrandar, and the big twist with that plot is that it, he's like a plant. So like they torture yes. him, and then he kind of like goes along with it, and then they they don't. They, there's like a whole bit of Archer's inner monologue where he's like, "Oh, I'm glad I only had to punch him four times. I don't have the heart to truly be a 9/11 torture man." Um, and I'm like feeling really bad about all this. Like, oh god, Archer's really gone off the. Ra- I mean, like, so the other thing is that uh, he Archer tortures Archer does 9/11 torture. I think in episode two of season three, which this is set very well after. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like he goes all in immediately on being a 9/11 torch man. So the idea that this is like Reed's line now is very funny. Um, but so they do this, and then he starts working with them and leads them to the base because they're like, oh fine, I don't want to get beaten up, I'll lead you to the, the Zindi weapons platform. And then eventually there's a reveal, like, right at the end, uh, when they're about to come in, and and uh, he's very obviously lying. And, and the way he gives up that he's lying is he basically says, I'm lying, to to their face. Because they're, like, debating whether he's lying, and then suddenly he starts going, actually, I'm definitely telling the truth. <laughs> in a way that yes. he would never have done. <laughs> um, uh, but it's too late, he activates the tracked beam, they are in the trap, being pulled into the station and basically turns like this dash render guy turns to uh, archer and is like you didn't actually you're actually a big pussy you didn't have the heart to truly do a 9-11 torture on me you just beat me up a bit you'd never cross the line for real uh which is and a archer weird goes, way damn to take i it. guess that is, i i guess this is mortifying and uplifting in this moment <laughs> <laughs> yeah which is like a really weird and uncomfortable way of getting out of the problem of we do 9-11 torture to the bad guys in star trek now Yes. Of the yes, guy. Yes, he's the most, like, liberal <laughs> slipping out of, like, accusing the heroes of doing the thing that they do. That That's what happens. Because, one, it makes it all justified because the guy was just, like, playing them. So, actually, they were, they were not, they never had the power. And two, it, like, cast them as, 
like their good of heart being just detectable in the air when i'm like that's not true he was beating up the, like he was doing a torture he was ready to do a torture he was excited to do a torture and it made him feel good and got him very stupid like it's very clear in the archer segments that he is just torturing this guy because it's making him feel good and he wants to get the fucking zindi and it clearly just blindly walking into this trap to the point where even the mako guy is like you're walking into this trap and archer's like i could use some support <laughs> yes uh, this book also just generally never grapples with the idea that maybe going and eradicating a species just because they want to attack you is a bad thing no which to be fair at least this show does <laughs> Yeah, the show eventually lands on, oh, no, like, the Zindi are of two minds about this, and if you reveal that they're being manipulated, then we're just going to agree to work together and disable the thing. And they do. And then they go their merry ways, because it's fucking Star Trek. Yep, no, uh, no, you no, don't no, have to again. do a genocide. In fact, there's there's basically no good reason to do a genocide. Nope. Um, but the book is all about, like, everyone on the Enterprise is all lockstep in their goals on doing a genocide, and the only thing they're arguing about is how fast they're going to do it. And how, like, whether they can respect the soldiers, because they're not real soldiers, while also in their next thought, thinking things like, we need to do a genocide right now! <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, we're all about killing all those Zindi, but man, those soldiers, they use guns to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's so fucking weird. <laughs> and it really, because like, I was always excited for the, like, to read the Enterprise books one day, because I love Enterprise, and they cover the Romulan War in them, but I know this is the writing team that does the Enterprise books for most of that, and now yeah. I'm like, hmm, hmm. These guys the need thing, to yes. respect the I troops. mean, the reason we stopped doing this podcast is because our politics shifted and Star Trek stopped being a thing we could, like, wholly uh, enjoy while critiquing and being a thing that sometimes we just critique. <laughs> yes. Um, the, the amount of irony that's required to enjoy Star Trek sometimes makes it harder to, like, engage with. Um, especially the books, which often go deep because they're, you know, books and have the interior lives of characters explored allow like shrink the space by which you can read star trek as like talking about a thing and instead make you realize that no one involved has any fucking clue what they're talking about right like the th and the thing we learned doing the books is that there are good authors who can do like interesting stuff with that but they are few yes. and far between um it really is just like you know out of the people we've read it is really just uh the Reef Stevens the Reef is Stevens is is and William Shatter himself <laughs> <William Shatter laughs> saying, fuck Will Riker and let me sleep with every hot alien that you write. <laughs> yep. Yeah, no, it's William Shatner right, like, staring Picard in the face and going, you're fucking cowards. <laughs> and it's, being right about it in that instance. so true. It's so right. <laughs> the Federation's going to die and you can't see it, you idiot. Uh, and um, uh, who's the guy that wrote Twilight? He, uh, he had some good stuff. Yes, that was the yes. Because I want to. That book's also like six hundred pages, and it's worth no all six hundred of them. So yeah, um, and like he he did uh the thirty fourth rule with uh, Armin Shimman, which is another another one on the list to read one day. Yeah, we would love to read that at some point. We probably will. So. We probably will. Yeah. Well, uh, no promises when we do. When we do, we'll probably do a podcast on it. Yeah. Oh yeah. We'll definitely. If we're gonna read a book, we might as well do a podcast on <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. We could talk about Star Trek anyway. Um, but uh, so, but those like these are like really interesting uh, dives into Star Trek critiques you wouldn't be allowed to do in the show. Only exist when the authors are capable of them, which is yes. few and far between. So often, yeah. Because unfortunately, this. Star Trek is like a lightning rod for, especially in this era, the most like high like level liberal space brains possible. But this is mid two thousands liberal space brain, so it's a little different yes. because they're all about respecting the troops and quoting Lincoln. <laughs> yes, yeah. 
Anyway, uh, they blow up that shuttle. They're the, the smuggler guy's ship they're on, and they're, they're safe. Whatever. The yeah, end. fine. It's fine. Whatever. One of the guys died before, but he doesn't really matter. Yeah. <laughs> the the one guy, uh, the one, like, brown guy fucking ate it instantly. <laughs> instantly. He got, like, one page of backstory about how he had a big family and then he died. Because yes, the one Indian fucking... guy had a whole backstory about how he <laughs> he had a big family because he's the Indian guy. And he thinks Archer chose him for this mission because he grew up in India, despite the fact that he grew up in a city, not the deserts of India. Uh, and he talks about that. And then he just gets shot in the chest. And everyone's like, oh, we're really sad about Chandra. <laughs> <laughs> yep. There's a weird through line through this book that is clearly not intentional and never mentioned. But like uh when Gutierrez is talking about her like I am uh you know, have this uh Latin heritage on earth and everything, but then I went to the old town that was just a terraformed town with like skyscrapers. And uh yes. so there's like a weird through line about how like culture doesn't exist on earth. <laughs> Uh, except yeah. in fucking private school England. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, like, clearly just on accident, but I found that interesting. Uh, because yeah. also one of the other main characters is uh, Gutierrez, who is a Mako thing, and there's also uh, Chang, who is revealed no. half all the later in the book to be called Hideaki Chang, and I was like, I don't think yes. that's... <laughs> Those are not the same. Yeah, the whole time. Okay, we'll, we'll, okay, let's move over to the other side. So we got Mayweather, and the whole thing, when they have the Makos on there, but the Enterprise is a small ship, so everyone is, like, on, like, like they, they schedule everyone where all the Makos are sharing rooms with crew members, um, and they're small rooms, because the Enterprise is designed like a submarine, so every, like, quarters is really small. Um, and they just, like, swap shifts, so, like, someone's sleeping, and then they leave and go to work, and someone else comes in and sleeps or whatever. Um, and Mayweather uh, hates his crew, his bunkmate named Chang, who's one of the uh, one of the Makos. Uh, Mayweather is a boomer, and by that I mean he grew up in space, part of a long-haul space transport family that owned a ship. And these were the early days of space flight, so they can only go, like, warp, like, 1.8 at the most on their big space truck, which means to travel between planets took months and months. So people just grew up and lived and died in space, like Gundam. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. so uh, he, and then he left to go join Starfleet because he wanted to pilot a new ship. And, you know, this Enterprise is the first warp 5 capable ship. That's a big plot point at the beginning of Enterprise. Doesn't really matter. Whatever. Um and so, uh, he's like very attuned to being in space. He's the pilot. Uh, he's good in zero gravity. He loves being out in zero gravity. And anytime he can find the middle of the ship where the gravity doesn't work, he floats there and meditates or whatever. Uh, he's also outside of all those things has no other characterization <laughs> other than he's the black character and literally is just the pilot from Galaxy, Galaxy Quest. Quest. It is, but not incredible. a joke. It's incredible they made this after Galaxy Quest because they literally made the black young kid, like not young in the way that the Galaxy Quest, like his actual child, but they still did that exactly and he just pushes the lever, like in the same way. It's a, it's yeah. wild. How did they do this? Yes. Uh, Enterprise is a land of contrast. <laughs> we like it a lot, but the, but not not for any reason that was on purpose. <laughs> no, and not in a way that like it makes me endorse the people behind it. Yeah, in fact, um, the exact opposite. Anyway, so he's living with Chang, who I was like, okay, this Mako roommate, uh, very fastidious uh, Chinese marine or whatever. You know, turns out his name's Hideaki Chang, which I I what? Excuse me. So I googled this. Uh, he is from the show. Oh, is he really? So this okay. is not this is this is not their crimes. All right, it's still a crime. Uh, yes, no, it's, it is still a crime. But this is uh, this is uh, Bowen and Braga's crime. Great, amazing. 
I'm trying to see if I is is there like a picture of this guy? Is he like in the show? Uh, yeah, yeah, I got it. I mean, I, so I'm about to send you unfortunately a trading card because when I googled Hideaki Chang, that's what I got. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but here he is. All right. Oh, this guy. Yeah, this guy. Uh, yeah, fair enough. Uh, bu- 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 um. Okay, no, I've, I've. Okay, in the show, he is called D Chang, just, just D Chang, and uh, uh, yes, <laughs> in the cu- yes, and then he- this customizable card game. This card I sent you is where Hideaki comes from. I uh, also want to point out that uh, the actor who plays uh, D. Hideaki Chang is Daniel Day Kim, who is a Korean guy. We got all three! We got all three, baby! We did oh, it! Oh, Star Trek! <laughs> Not allowed. Not allowed. I forgot about this guy entirely. It's been many years since I've seen our prize. Uh, Daniel Day Kim is great. Uh, Anyway, so three, a different, uh, yeah, three episodes of Enterprise. So he's not exactly in a ton of that show. No, but I um, did remember anyway, who Hayes was, and I was like, "Oh, great, this guy, the most boring yes. military guy." Anyway, these two guys just fucking hate each other for no good reason other than because you need a conflict. Uh, and uh, Mayweather's like literally just goes up to his like way more like his way more responsible older Star Trek crew members and goes, "Man, those Marines, right? What if we could just fucking kill them?" Basically, <laughs> <laughs> like in the mess hall, like, "Man, I just I just murder that guy in his sleep if I could." And Trip's like, "Well, isn't that a little strong?" And he's like, "Nah, nah, I'd be good. Just shoot him out of an airlock." He gives a <laughs> shit. Uh, <laughs> Travis's character in this book is unbelievable. <laughs> like. <laughs> He goes so far off the deep end with this shit, and to the point where I was like, well, the clear the plot is that, like, Chang doesn't think about him. But then that's not actually true, because Chang hates him later in the book as well. But yeah, it, Chang hates him <laughs> just as much, but in, like, a, like, a seething, like, military training where it's like, man, I'd, if I could get, if I could get him in an alleyway, I'd beat him to death, but I can't, so I'm just gonna sit here and take it. But for the first half of the book, it really plays like this is just invented in Travis's mind. <laughs> yes. As this guy in, in his room is just like living with him and like tidies, tidies up a lot and keeps it clean and is like just going to go now. And then when he realizes the trip's annoyed at the start, he goes to the gym and then uh, in trip, uh, Travis is annoyed at the start, he goes to the gym and then Travis is like, oh, I was going to go to the fucking gym, you fucking bastard. And I'm like, Travis, he saw you didn't want to be with him and left the room. What is wrong with you? Uh, yeah, but yeah, then it reveals that he's actually just as he, he hates him just as much, and this is a real conflict. Um, it's very weird. Another funny addition to this is that so uh, Travis uh, hates Chang and by extension all the Makos, but then on this mission immediately starts talking to Gutierrez with a subplot about being pregnant for some reason, uh, and it has the one uh, conflict uh, that all of like Star Trek relationship plots have, which is that all oh, fraternization is banned, which it it never is. <laughs> That that is just the like prime directive of relationship plot, just a thing someone has to say, but no one cares. Uh yeah. She she slept with another one of the Marines and uh she's pregnant and doesn't want to tell anybody. She's like, Oh, they're gonna run me out if I if I tell anyone. Um that's not true. And also everyone knew. <laughs> <laughs> also everyone knew. As is the case with all of these. But then, like, Travis talks to her in the middle of this mission while everyone's being mean to him, and it's like, damn, she's hot. Maybe I don't hate all the makers. It gets, like, randomly horny for her in a way yeah, that is she never literally, She literally goes, goes up to the cockpit and is like, would you like some coffee? And he's like, ah, oh, this lady's nice to me. Maybe I'd smash. 
Maybe all the makers aren't so bad. I'd smash her. And it's it's just like, what is happening? Yeah. Uh, and then he insists, despite being the only person who can operate the shuttle, to go with them on the mission to prove that he's a badass, too. Like, uh, he, literally, like, I got a big dick. Let me go. Uh, and they're like, uh, and they're like, uh, you don't know how to plant the bombs or anything. He's like, yeah, but watch this. And then turns off the gravity in the shuttle, making everyone sick because they weren't prepared for it. Does, like, a cool spin in the air where he grabs all the bombs that they dropped because he turned off the gravity in the middle of them having a conversation. And it's like, look at that shit. Aren't I cool? And they're like, well, I guess if you're going to act like that will take you along god damn it there's a bit and it turns out to be the right thing to do because he saves them all with his science knowledge no because if he hadn't gone he could have saved the ship and fixed it from there in the first place yeah yes and no i don't but, know I mean, it's bad so, yeah it's bad but it also it is, like uh, is preceded by three chapters of him going we should just leave um we don't have a mission here this would not really affect the outcome of the war we should not do anything we should go we've got intel we should go home no what he actually does it says uh to paul said we should report back uh i think we should do what to paul said <laughs> yes even though all he needs to say is our mission was to collect intel what is wrong with any of you let's late leave right now but yes he's a pissy baby about it and the makers of pissy babies back this entire subplot is terrible it's the worst half of the book i'm like please can i go back to uh, to uh, archer doing some 9-11 torture please <laughs> yes um and so you know they land on this thing they plant the bombs there's a booby trap they disable through science teching star trek shit as there always is uh, and then they leave, whatever, doesn't matter. Um, the thing, obviously, about these two in tandem is Archer gets trapped by the Zindi's, like, plan to use a fake fuel depot to leave the Enterprise in while they blunder into blowing up the real fuel depot. And there's a whole segment where the Zindi are arguing about, like, oh, our plans have been pushed back for another six cycles. And you're like, what does any of that mean? And it's like, it doesn't matter. This season was over years ago. <laughs> It's funny because that is often how like actual season three episodes ended. Like, yes, the, the, but it is just it is just Queen Barrow holding up the energy in every episode <laughs> of Sailor Moon, going, "Oh damn, they didn't sap the energy out of all of Tokyo this time." God damn it, we'll have to try again. It is incredible how much the like Zindi like council room they don't know what they have because they've invented like a second federation that like works. Yes. Uh, in a way that's really interesting and good, while the current Federation doesn't exist because they're all trying to go to war with the Andorians. Uh, like, so and it's literally like, you know, five races that are actually more different than the races of the Federation. Because yes. they, they are, there's like biological, actual differences. There's, there's like bug men and uh, dolphin men, you know, like... There's a lot going on with this indie. None of this is touched on. And, then, and also, like, the way in which they are defining themselves now is through, like, othering the humans. Like, you know, the Zindi are establishing their the fact that they exist by this war with the humans and the future guys, you know. Yes, There's but so that, much just, that, just means, that just means that your main point of view character, the, like, scientist who's building the Death Star, who happens to be a Zindi-like humanoid, is just tugging at his collar going, I hope they don't lo- notice we look like humans. <laughs> 24 episodes yes well i guess for like 16 until he's in the shuttle with uh, archer and he's like fuck he noticed we look like humans i um, guess we have to work with the humans now and then because you know because all of these plots have to have the guy that designed the death laser be like secretly sympathetic i don't know why that is like a plot point in all of culture but it really is yeah, uh, because we we brought over every Nazi scientist after World War II and had them work on our space program is why. Yeah, maybe those guys had regrets. 
Uh, like, yeah. No, it, I mean, I, I really do think it's just like we need the cultural memory of it's okay if you built evil things if you work for the other side after that. <laughs> I guess so. I always, I didn't even like read it in that like that specifics. I just read it as main word generally. Like we have to imagine the people who build these things to have consciences because then we don't have to like engage with the fact that they exist. Um, but you're right as well. Uh, it's yeah. battle round. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> fucking have uh, Rogue One does this. They have fucking Hannibal himself build the Death Star and then go, ah, oh, I didn't want to do that. I have a daughter. And then he dies. Hey, <laughs> I'm Mads Mikkelsen playing Space Otacon. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You want to talk about history's greatest villain, fucking Otacon. Anyway, we were getting a field here. Um, and so anyway, they get back after doing all that, and they are like, oh, we, we still hate each other, blah, blah, blah. And then Archer, uh, Mayweather, and Reed are having dinner together, which is just a ludicrous combination. I refuse to believe this would ever happen. And, and then even, um, even Reed's like, this is a bit of a weird combination. Yes. As Archer, as Archer is, like, eating a steak, like, glowering because he's mad about all the torture he did, but like a supervillain throwing scraps of his steak to his dog Porthos <laughs> and at the end so he's like evil. I don't even want this and tosses the steak to Porthos yep <laughs> which is not he's not like depicted in the book as just him being a cartoon villain but that's literally what he's doing because <laughs> it's not like Archer like apologizes for anything he did he's like I hope next time Reed you're not such a pussy about me doing torture <laughs> and Reed's like no sir I've learned my lesson <laughs> it was right to fuck that guy up uh and uh, then he talks to Mayweather, and he's like, ah, I heard you got everyone out. And he's like, wait, I didn't put that in my report that I used science to solve the problem. And he's like, yeah, no, the the Marines told me. He's like, how'd, how'd the captain of the Marines know that? And it's like, well, Chang must have told him. He's like, oh, Chang had my back this one time by reporting the facts of what happened. <laughs> <laughs> they respect each other now. But they don't. <laughs> Because there's a whole bit where they're, like, drinking. All the Marines are drinking because uh, that's what Marines do. Like, uh, the Federation has stakes. The Marines are boozing it up in their quarters. Uh, and he goes, man, I fucking hate that guy, but he saved my life. I guess pour one out for him. But fuck him if I ever see him again. <laughs> <laughs> right, because it's mid-season three. And they can't yeah. do anything. Um, and and they go on their merry way, I guess. <laughs> and then everyone who's been knocked out wakes up and trips like, oh, what happened? And T'Pol's like, well, shit went down. He's like, oh, okay. I feel bad that I wasn't in this book. She's like, it's okay. We didn't need you. <laughs> yeah, that's literally Trip's plot. Which, like, the framing device is about Trip. <laughs> yes. Yes. But he sits up in bed and is like, oh, I'm sad I wasn't in this book. As he looks over to Hoshi Sata, who's also not in this book, but only gets the scene of her sitting up looking guilty, but no interiority or character interaction at all. Which is honest to Enterprise. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we, we're going to have like a really cool idea. We're going to have a Xeno linguist and put her on the ship and never fucking use her. There, there's, there's, there's one Hoshi book that's like about language that I'm curious about one day to see if anything good in it. Um, but well, considering yeah. the one episode about Hoshi is just her fucking an, an one of the enemy, <laughs> I doubt it. I doubt it. I doubt it. Uh, God, <laughs> the the framing story being Trip and Kirk and like is so funny because basically it paints the through line, which I know is not like meant to be true because it the chapters about Trip are like about the sacrifices of the Zindi War, but really yeah. it paints it as like and, and it doesn't like reference season four right it doesn't reference it's like fake death it's like alludes to it but you have to know what's going on but in the text of this book it is like my life has been changed 
and I haven't been able to come to this memorial because I was asleep during the war. <laughs> it's like how the lines connect. If you don't have all the ancillary context to know, this is just it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's so weird. Yes. And yeah, to yeah. Pull also it's extremely not. baffling. Uh, all the stuff with the, the young Kirks is embarrassing, as all that stuff always is. I hate when Star Trek books do this. It just makes the universe seem so small. Like, don't have every character interact just because, it, like, nerds go, ah, I recognize those characters. And when you of do... Of course you do. His name is James Kirk. <laughs> and when you do do that, do it in a good way, like putting Cyborg in Discovery. <laughs> yeah. Have one of the Daxes fuck McCoy. <laughs> It's not that you can't make everyone know each other. It's that you can't just make them know fucking Kirk. He's boring. There's nothing yeah. you can do with that. Yeah. Especially when it's like he runs up to him and then you go, ah, it looks like the future's in good hands and like, you know, tussles <laughs> his hair and sends him on his way as the Enterprise is being built in the background. And and not, who's this fucking child? Like, it doesn't, it's, he's a kid, doesn't matter. Uh, he's also, all- it is revealed that his like young attendant is the great grandchild of the baby that Gutierrez ended up having, who grew up to be a brilliant engineer and birth a whole line of b- brilliant engineers, and they're the ones working on the Enterprise. And Trip's got to stay alive to see it, even after all his friends are dead, because he's got to see a ship that can go as fast as that, because he worked on the Enterprise, which went warp five. Yep, it's weird. Kirk's like, I'm off to go to Tarsus 4 now. <laughs> <laughs> I love my family who are about to be slaughtered. <laughs> yeah. Except for Sam Kirk, who grew up to be slaughtered by something else entirely. <laughs> On a different planet. Oh, <laughs> uh, Star Trek's so fucking dumb. But bringing, mentioning Sam Kirk at any point is so funny because of what happens to him. <laughs> Uh, but also because he's William Shatner with a mustache. I just <laughs> imagine, like, a young child William Shatner, but with, like, a slightly different part in his hair. <laughs> yep. Oh, it's, yeah, it's wild. <sighs> the Makos. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there's the Makos, which are uh, interesting only in that, I, the, I mean, even Enterprise never really got into this. The Makos are just doing the Federation stuff. Like, the, when this becomes the Federation and Starfleet, like, goes out into space, like, every, the Makos just live on the ship now. They're just Worf and his crew in their karate geese doing Tai Chi in the holodeck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and nobody pays it any mind. No, I mean, like, like the part where, like, all this, the, all this friction arises from, uh, we're explorers and they're soldiers. And I'm like, Starfleet is both. That's the whole reason Star Trek is weird. Yep. And, like, Archer, Archer understands, like, so, like, Discovery also gets, like, all the people, like, oh, we're scientists. Why are we doing a Black Ops war, you know, when their entire science project exists to fund a Black Ops war and fight a Black Ops war? Like, cause this, which makes the end of uh, season one Discovery very funny. Um, but, like, Archer does understand this because this stuff all plays into the Sector 31 thing where at the end of the series, he's like, God damn, the Sector 31 thing, how can I trust anyone? I could trust everyone if I was president. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> yes. The part where Archer becomes the fucking president of the Federation really, like, underscores the part where, like, this is just what they are. They've always been this way. Star Trek is always just a, like, using the idea of exploration and discovery as justification for imperialism and violence. All the way down, forever and ever. And Enterprise is, like, explicit about this. Not intentionally, but it is what the text of the show is about. Yes. <laughs> and that's why we like it. 
Uh, yes. Because I mean, there's, there's no the whole fallout of Archer doing 9-11 tortures is he meets the captain of the next ship that's going out at the beginning of season four. And she's like, why are you so pissed all the time? You used to be like a normal person. And now you're just like a monster. And he's like, oh, you go out there for a while and you realize you just got to do 9-11 torture. And she's like, I don't think that's true. I think that's fucked up. And he's like, well, get in that ship for a couple of years and come back and see what uh, what's what. And literally decades of star trek back up his claim that that is actually what happens when you are in a ship for decades and go out there and explore sometimes you just do a fucking torture sometimes you do a torture but like that episode's really good because she like it doesn't really resolve she just looks at him like he's not human anymore yeah <laughs> because he's not because he comes back and he's like uh fucking change me torturing those zindi and she's like what <laughs> I, I'm you know, here to do like, oh, I, felt, I felt really bad about it. She's like, but you did it. <laughs> and then you blew them all up. But he's like, yeah, it fucks you up, man. <laughs> Flash forward to Benjamin Sisko destroying ecosystems of planets and lying to entire governments to fund his war effort. <laughs> right. It's always been this. It's it's just, yeah, it's this all the way down. Um, uh, I've got, I've got the, uh, I've got the quote from Reed where he tells uh, Archer off for doing the 9-11 torture because the wording is so funny. All right, let's do it. Uh, when did we come to this, sir? Archer stared at him, his eyebrows knotted in the corner, more in confusion than anger. Come to what, Malcolm? This, Malcolm said, gesturing with his hand towards the corridor and the cockpit beyond it. That, he said, gesturing again, this time towards Archer's hands. When did we stop being the civilization and become the anarchists? We used to be explorers and now we're thugs! Uh, Eric is noted for doing torture in behalf of the state. (laughs) It's the least anarchist thing possible. Like, you know, I have some ideological disagreements with anarchists as like a more... uh, you know, traditional Marxist, uh, but that's just not what the what are you talking about, Reed? Yeah, yeah. God, um, there's another line which uh, trigger warning for uh, content warning. I said that like forgetting that the you know words. Anyway, bad words in this line, but I, I have to read this out uh, because this is in the final chapter, and it like blew my mind and how racist it was <laughs> and it's a nothing it's not a real thing it's not a plot point but just uh what random assigned degra has that broke me oh degra's degra's the zindi scientist by the way yes degra's the zindi scientist and he's the zindi humanoid uh, uh degra nodded though he found it difficult to muster any heartfelt concern for the fate of the insectoid crew after all the bugs were used to leaving short brutal lives and they re- routinely expended those lives in vigorous defense of their portions of the zindi homeworld and did so without the slightest he- hesitation savagery and territoriality were hardwired into their nature these traits made them ideal foot soldiers for the collective zindi cause what the fuck <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> this book's not about that, but they just put that in the last chapter! <laughs> and uh, the book did not put that in as like, ah, uh, oh, this is how fucked up Dagger is. No, no. It, it puts it in as, this is the layout of what the Zindi are. <laughs> they, they, like, say, they take it one step further of, like, no, the fact that the Zindi have hardwired racial traits is what makes them a, such an effective war machine. I mean... Star Trek is all about, like, for a large portion of it, Klingons exactly being warlike because of their racial trait. Right. This just hasn't had, like, 15 years for someone to go, uh, and Michael Dawn to make some episodes about how that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> yep. 
Uh, and they responded by uh, removing the brown face and putting all the white actors in still racially uh, problematic full face makeup. <laughs> the, the, the part where Discovery is like, okay, we can't just do blackface anymore for Klingons because that is a bit racist. Um, even though, you know, the answer is what if you just like cast black people? What if, what if, what if we cast all of our white actors with like wide noses and big lips instead? That, that's fine. Actually. That's fine. Like, the idea that the Discovery stuff is less racist is so funny. It's just less honest about it. Um, yeah, like the best stuff, the best Klingon stuff in, in TN, like in Star Trek, is the TNG episodes of Worf. I mean, we've talked about them throughout yeah. this this show. Like, it's about War, like Michael Dorn as a black man getting to do episodes that are about Worf confronting the idea of like racial identity. Um, there's you could no- take you could take a lot of the, the like specifics out and put it into a like a realistic show in the modern day and have it be about the same things and that's why they're good. Yep. Um, instead, Star Trek be out here just fucking showing its ass. Galaxy branding to continue to like cast white people as Klingons who have been multiple different racial uh, like allegories f- like throughout time, but never yes. white. <laughs> no, always some kind of other we need right now, but we need reasons yeah. that white people can play them. My favorite, my favorite thing is the, the like old head Trek people are like the Klingons are actually a metaphor for the Soviets, <laughs> which is a not true and b look at them, <laughs> they literally just made the Mongol horde on purpose. Like that's literally what they are. That's what they are. Just because they're in like a Cold War with the Federation doesn't mean that's what the the metaphor is. I've I've seen that. I've forgot what the name of the episode is, but the really good one. Balance uh, of Terror. You're talking about the Romulans, which no, is the I'm, actual I'm not. Cold War I'm talking metaphor. about the one where the oh. the weapons get hot, the one with the Klingons. Oh, that's uh, the, Day of the Dove. The, yes, that one. Because um, that's oh, no Aaron like, of Mercy. Aaron of Mercy. Aaron of Mercy. The one. Yes. Yeah. The because that is the kind of a Cold War metaphor. But even that, they're not. That that, that doesn't mean make yes. them the Soviets. <laughs> yes, the Romulans are the Soviets. Yep. Yeah. And the reveal of the, the 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 whole thing about the Romulans is that they exist because, like, the metaphor is, oh, they're not actually any different than the Vulcans. Like, that's the big reveal. Is there's no difference between the Soviets and like people, like the Americans, the Federation. They're all just people. But when it's Klingons, it's different. Yep. It's this it's why weird. we don't do Star Trek. This is why we don't do Star Trek because they always go to this because we have Gundam to like not be cowardly about stuff at least for now uh whereas star trek is all like you know there's some interesting stuff here but uh this this book is all this book's called last full measure <laughs> no um I, I also i mostly like this book it was fun to read it took about two hours you know it's hard to complain <laughs> this book is 400 pages long <laughs> yeah it took about two hours <laughs> it is remarkably long for how quick you read it <laughs> yep uh that's because it's pretty dumb uh <laughs> but uh i had a reasonable time i'd love to go and explore actual uh why like the part where they actually pull uh trip tucker out of history and give him a new face and tell him to go fight the romulans <laughs> yes well we'll do that eventually i think um yeah because we gotta we gotta see what's up with Tri- is he fighting the romulans is that a deal <laughs> I, I assume. I don't know. I just know they lead into the Romulan War books, oh, which right, I have not yeah, seen. Oh, right, yeah, of course. <laughs> right, because that all has to happen after... Uh, uh, wait, is the Romulan War before the founding of the Federation? Um, yeah, because it's the Earth-Romulan War. So that's before the end of Season 7? Yeah. Huh, that's going to be so fucking weird. I'm really... Cu- 
uh, season four, I guess. Uh, I'm, re- I'm like running through what's going to happen in those books in my head, and it's all weird. Uh, I hope they're okay. This book doesn't. I like- mean, the whole the whole thing with like the answer of like what happened with these are the voyages to the end of Enterprise is that it's like a it's like a compression of like five years of history because there's this bit where like Strand shows up and he's not a member of the Andorian fit like you know he's on his own in like a weird like cruiser ship and asks Archer for help and like there's like it just pulls from history like a bunch of things that did happen but out of order to reconstruct like events that nobody remembers Mm -hmm. um we'll see how that ends up going uh yeah no the uh, the uh earth Roman war was meant to happen in 2156 which is mid which would have been season five of enterprise god damn it yeah god damn it (laughs) I know. What were the Ravens doing? <laughs> uh, being vampires in the background. There's <laughs> so just a bit in, in Enterprise Season 4 where they just cut to the Ravens and they look so funny because Enterprise Season 4 is the fir- the only season of Star Trek not shot on film. Um, so everything's shot on like 2000s digital video and looks really bad. <laughs> Yeah. And then the Remans are there, which, I mean, if you've seen Nemesis, you know the Remans are weird Morlockian vampires who just fucking suck. Yeah. <laughs> but they're here in the background, uh, causing an albino uh, Andorian to use her psychic powers to pilot the Elmeth. And I'm not making any of that up. That's what happens in fucking Enterprise Season 4. But also, they have to write the plot such that nobody on the Enterprise can see them. <laughs> Yeah, because no one's seen the Remans, and also no one's seen the Romulans, because it's very important that no one knows what a Romulan looks like until enter, until the original series. <laughs> the Earth Romulan War, uh, despite all of evidence to the contrary now, was fought with radios and nuclear weapons. <laughs> and their reasoning is because of, like, weird technology forces them to start using radios and nuclear weapons. Uh, oh. I mean, the the thing was that it was meant to be, like... You know, in in the in the sixties, it was yes. meant to be like our oh, fifty sci-fi war. Yes, no, in, in Balance of Terror, the metaphor is obvious, but the way the Enterprise decides to deal with this is that things got weird and they had to start using radios and nukes. Yeah, um, Enterprise is wild. We could talk about Enterprise all day. Uh, that's why we like it. It's the Revenge of the Sith of Star Trek, Damn, uh, that's and I mean true. that in all the best and worst ways. <laughs> yes, uh, slightly uh, less quotable. This is the episode. We did it. Um, Thank you very much for listening. Star Trek, we did it. We had a good time. Yeah. Um, obviously, we don't do these anymore, really, but I guess we could do quick plugs if you're somehow only subscribed to this feed. Jackson, where you, can people find you? Plug a podcast you like. You can find me at headfallsoff on Twitter.com. You can find the podcast we do at abnormalmapping.com. There are a bunch of really good ones there. You should listen to Abnormal Mapping, which is our game club. You can find me on Twitter at EM underscore Bing. Uh, you should listen to Reptory Screenings, which is me, Jackson, Destiny, talking about movies uh, every two weeks or so. Um, and you can find that at RepertoryScreenings.com. Uh, we watch a lot of great film, and it's nice to just sit down and talk about a movie. It's pretty low-key. Yeah. I feel like it has the most energy of kind of being like this that isn't Gundam. Uh, of course, we are Patreon-supported. You can do that at Patreon.com slash Mapping. For $1, you get The Great Gundam Project, which, uh, you know, we abandoned Star Trek to go talk about a different long-running sci-fi franchise that's Gundam. Every week, we give you two episodes of Gundam and two episodes of some other anime. Right now, we're watching Gundam Wing, which everyone saw on Toonami in the aughts and forgot that it was good. Uh, and we're telling you that it's good. Uh, it's and good. it's a great time. So please check that out. We'll probably be back with Star Trek in the future. No plans, but you know, someone could always tell us to read a book or we could just get it in our heads that we really need to read the, the 
you know, the quirk book finally. Yep, there's um, the quirk book. Let's be on. There's a few. If we ever do one of those things, we'll podcast about it, but no promises. What we definitely will not be doing, and I can promise you this, is we will not be covering Discovery Season 3. No. If you, yeah, like, no, we're not covering anything ever again. <laughs> like, no weekly Star Trek stuff. Like, just no. Uh-uh. Because it's the same thing every time we go, damn, these people got liberal brain. <laughs> and then we, then we leave. Uh, yeah. So, until then, on that far future day, we will see you It's been there. a long road Getting from there to here It's been a long time But my time is finally But I can feel the change in the way right now Nothing's in my way Gonna hold me down no more. No, they're not gonna hold me down. Cause I've got faith on the heart. I will see my dream come alive